be with you, brethren, during this Bible class hour. My wife and I have been in the United States now for five weeks. We have got one more week to go. And in all the travel that we'll be doing, it will take us a total of six weeks traveling across seven states and covering 5,000 miles. We've been here long enough to be able to say this. How are y'all doing? <laughs> it's a pleasure to be here. And we want to go into a Bible study and to look at the conversion of the Ethiopian eunuch recorded in Acts chapter 8. And in this lesson this morning, we will then talk about the work that Sister Puifan and I do through Forces College in Singapore. And I want to appreciate the elders here, Brother Jim Dearman, Brother Steve Pell, and the church here for supporting my work. Uh, now, the work that we do in Singapore is a result of the great commission given to us by our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So the lesson that we want to look at this morning is taken from Acts 8, and we're going to read from verse 26 to verse 40. Acts 8, 26 to 40. This is the conversion of the Ethiopian eunuch. And if not for the writings of this inspired man by the name of Luke, we would not be able to understand a lot of things, especially with the establishment of the lost church and how it began and what happened and how people became Christians and how Christians uh, worship and all of that. So we're thankful that Luke wrote this through inspiration. And as a result of this writing, we get to read about the conversion of the Ethiopian eunuch and how he obeyed the gospel as a result of a preacher that was sent to him. So if you have the Bible with you, we're going to read this together from Acts 8, 26 to 40, and I'm going to read from the King James Version. And the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Go toward the south, unto the way which goeth down from Jerusalem to Gaza, which is desert. And he arose and went, and behold, a man from Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority, under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who had the charge of all her treasure, and had come to Jerusalem for to worship, was returning, and sitting on a chariot, read Esaias the prophet. And the Spirit spake unto, and the Spirit spake unto Philip, saying, Go near and join thyself to this chariot. And Philip ran thither to him and heard him read the prophet Isaiah. And he said, Understandest thou what thou readest? And he said, How can I, except some men should guide me? And he desired Philip that he would come up and sit with him. And the place of the scripture that he read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, and like a lamb dumb before its shearer, so opened he not his mouth. In his humiliation, his judgment was taken away. And who shall declare his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. Then the eunuch answered, Philip said, I pray thee, of whom speaketh the prophet this? Of himself or some other man? And Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. And as they went on their way, they came unto a certain water. And the eunuch said, See, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? 
And he said, If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And he said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he commanded the chariot to stand still, and they went down both into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they were come out out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught away Philip, that the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. But Philip was found at Exodus, and in passing through, he preached in all the cities till he came to Caesarea. That's Acts 8, 26 to 40. That's the record of the conversion of this Ethiopian eunuch, a wonderful man who had converted to the Jewish religion. Probably a Jewish convert, a black man from an African country of Ethiopia, and had traveled on his chariot about 1,000 miles all the way to the city of Jerusalem to worship in his mind, the word of God as revealed to the prophet Moses and to all the Old Testament prophets as recorded in the Old Testament was the revelation of God. And he believed that to be the truth and he had embraced that religion. He was right, except that at this point that we are reading about, the gospel had already been preached. The church had already been established. The Lord of Moses had been nailed to the cross. It has become invalid. Every single person, including the Jews, had to obey the gospel. But this man had a good heart. He desired to know God. And he was honest in seeking God. He was reading the Old Testament scriptures. And God, first of all, sent an angel to Philip to ask him to go to a certain place. And then the Holy Spirit spoke to Philip and said, Go near and join yourself to this chariot. And this man had Jesus preach to him. And out of the sincerity and honesty of his heart, he understood, he obeyed the gospel, he believed, repented, confessed, and was baptized. He was added to the church. He became a Christian. So that's the record of this Ethiopian unit, and we want to draw lessons from this passage. First of all, the first point is that God speaks, and God spoke to Philip through an angel. Then God, through the Holy Spirit, spoke to Philip. God spoke in various manners at various times in the history of mankind to people. But today, He speaks to us through His Son, through the Word. God does not speak to people directly today. We had to wait for a gospel meeting to come to a conclusion in the city of Singapore before we began our journey here to the United States. We had a citywide gospel campaign, preaching that was done every night, on a Wednesday night, Thursday night, and a Friday night in a hotel in Singapore. We had invited a full-time gospel preacher from Nesbitt, Mississippi, to come and speak for us. There was a visitor whom I met on the last night of the gospel meeting, and I introduced myself to him and got his name, and he introduced himself to me. And in a short conversation that we had together, he said this. He said, I would have come last night, but God spoke to me and told me not to come. But today, God spoke to me, and he told me to come, and that's why I'm here. When I heard that, I knew that could not be true. 
I knew that because it violated the scriptures. The scriptures tells us this, Hebrews 1, 1 and 2. God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in times past unto the fathers by the prophets, had in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he had appointed heir of all things, and by whom also he made the worlds. Yes, God did speak to people at one time in various manners, through prophets, through dreams, through visions and voices, and even through an animal. And at one time, God spoke to man directly and said, Adam, where are thou? But God does not speak to us directly today. 2,000 years ago, our Lord Jesus Christ spoke to his apostles, and he said this, But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall guide you into all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. John fourteen twenty six. So these apostles eventually received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. They were all inspired men. And some of them wrote the books of the New Testament that we have today. So God speaks to us now through the recorded words of these inspired men. All the books of the Bible that we have in our hands today, that's how God speaks to us. At one time, Jesus our Lord said, But he that rejected me and received not my words, the same had one that judged him. The word which I have spoken, the same shall judge him in the last day. John twelve forty eight. So the word of God is the benchmark. The Word of God is the basis by which we're going to be judged today. Does God speak to us today? Yes, He does. How? Through His Word. And that's how God speaks to us today. That's the first point. What's the second point? The second point is this, that God sends. He sent Philip to a certain place. And Philip preached the gospel. Does God send us today? Yes, He does. How does he do that? Directly? No. He sends us through the great commission that he had given. Our Lord Jesus Christ, 2,000 years ago, before he ascended to be on God's right hand, he said this to the apostles who were gathered before him. This is recorded in the book of Matthew 28, 18-20. We're very familiar with the great commission. Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me, both in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations. Teach, from the Greek word, make disciples. Go, make disciples. Go, go make disciples of all nations, from the original Greek. Go make disciples of every ethnic groups of people in the world. It doesn't matter what ethnic group he comes from, but go and make him a disciple. And that's the Great Commission. In the context, it was given to the 11 apostles at that time. But we know it applies to all of us because Jesus said, And teach them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And one of those things that I have commanded you is to go make disciples. That's number one. The first evidence that it applies to us today. The second evidence is this. Jesus our Lord said, And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. So 
Every generation of his faithful disciples who go out to make disciples, Jesus said, I will be with you. And the third evidence why we believe that it applies to us today is because the Christians in the first century understood that it applies to them. Acts 8, the first four verses, record a great persecution that came upon the church at Jerusalem. The apostles stayed behind. The church that's made up of men and women, they were scattered abroad. In verse 4 of Acts chapter 8, the inspired writer Luke said, And they that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word. These are men and women. They're not the apostles. What did they do? They went everywhere preaching the word. So does God send people today? He does. And he sends us through the Great Commission, which applies to every one of us. And this is where we want to talk about the work at Forces College. And the work of Forces College is as a result of the Great Commission. I'm having a problem advancing the slide. Okay, very good. <clears throat> the prophet Isaiah, 750 years before Jesus our Lord came to earth, had already prophesied. The people from all nations of the world will flow into the church, the mountain of the Lord's house. And it happened. On the day of Pentecost, the first group of people, about 3,000 believers, were from different parts of the Roman Empire. The population of the world today, as of January this year, is... Are you doing it, brother? It's not working. I'm sorry. So what should I do? Uh, when I do this, you advance forward. Is that, <laughs> is that all right? Okay. That's, that's the technology that we have now. <clears throat> Thank you, brother. So that's 7.28 billion people in the world today. That's a lot of people, and we can't imagine it. And, but did you realize that the most number of people in the world are concentrated in this part of the world that's shaded in red, and that's where Asia is. And the population is 4.427 billion people. More than half of the population of the world are located in Asia, and that's where the gospel is needed. Wilma talked to you about Asia. 53 nations represented in the Asian Region, speaking more than 2,000 different languages. And the beauty of the program that we have at Forces College is that men and women who are also enrolled in the college will be provided with that two-year training. And when they are ready to go out to preach the gospel and to sow the seed of God's word in the hearts of little children and ladies, they go back speaking in their native languages. There are 2,000 over languages. A missionary will have some challenges. We appreciate missionaries who have gone to Asia to preach the gospel. And if not for some American missionaries who have labored there many years ago, perhaps the people in Asia would never have heard of the Lord's Church. But nevertheless, 
when a missionary wants to go and work and labor in any countries in Asia, there will be some great challenges. First of all, a lot of money that has to be raised to support him and his family. Secondly, he will have to spend at least two years to study the language before he can read and converse and write in the native language, unless he's preaching using English. And then the number of years that he will be laboring in that country will be limited. It could be three, five, ten, even twenty. Eventually, the missionary will have to will have to return. But when students come from different parts of Asia to be trained, when they return, they will be able to labor for the Lord in their native languages for as long as they live. And that's where we come in as as as, uh, as we operate and teach at Forces College. This is the country of Malaysia, where. Sister Puifan and I come from. Our, our parents had come from, especially our fathers, had come from China to go look for work in Malaysia. And they stayed on and never did return. And we are the generation, part of the generation that was born after them. And by nationality, we are Malaysians. We carry Malaysian passports. And, uh, but we are of Chinese descent. And we speak English. So if you were to ask me how I would describe myself, I am an English-speaking Malaysian Chinese. <laughs> Does that make sense to you? <laughs> this is when Jim Dearman, his wife, Janice, and the children were with us in Malaysia. In the city of Klang, 20 miles away from the capital of Kuala Lumpur. Klang, K-L-A-N-G. We had an American missionary who worked in Klang many years before Jim Dearman did. And one Sunday, he got up to speak at a pulpit, and he said, You know, I was reading my Bible, and I discovered that Klang is a very scriptural congregation. He said, I read from my Bible about clanging symbols. <laughs> it's a different word. So that's Klang where we come from. And now we are working in the island nation of Singapore that's connected by a bridge. And once you cross the bridge, you'll be in Singapore. And here's a closer picture. That's Malaysia and Singapore. We're now living and working in Singapore where the college is based. But first, before we talk about the work at the college, we want to talk to you about the religions of Asia. And there are Islamic nations in Asia as well. And some of the countries here in Asia have have uh, the majority of Muslims living in the country. The world's Muslim, more than one billion, 60% of them are found in Asia. All kinds and all shits of Islam. Those that are moderate, like these ladies, and those that are conservative, and those that are very conservative. And they, they are found in all shits in Asia. And these are some of the countries with big populations of Muslims. The world's biggest Muslim population is found in the country of Indonesia, Pakistan, Bangladesh, India, Iran, Turkey, and so on. Islam is the fastest growing religion in the world and the second largest. It's the fastest growing because of biological growth. Every Muslim family is in Doctrinated with the belief that every 
child that is born is a blessing from their God, Allah. And they want to have as many as possible. That's the reason why they have a lot of children. Secondly, they're not allowed to leave the religion. They will be ostracized. The consequences of leaving the religion is very dire and very serious. Then in addition to Islam, we also have about, have about 800 million of, of Hindus living in the Asian region, predominantly found in India. And it has also spread to some neighboring countries. There's a lot of Hindus living in Asia, especially among the Indians of Indian origin. And we want to show you a picture of what a typical Hindu temple looks like. Here's a picture of a Hindu temple in Malaysia. In close, a close-up view of the sculpture that's found on the temple structure, you have uh, gods and goddesses, figurines, representing the gods whom they worship, the elephant god, the monkey god, and so on. That's part of the religion. And in the, on the outskirts of the city of Kuala Lumpur, uh, once a year, every year, about one million Hindus gather there on the outskirts of Kuala Lumpur to celebrate a Hindu festival. And they climb 200 over steps to go into the mouth of a cave where they bow down in worship to an elephant god. At a foothill, there is a giant statue which they worship. And uh, some of the men will hurt themselves to appease the gods whom they worship or to earn the God's favor for the certain things that they want in this life. And here's a very graphic example. Now we talk about another religion, Buddhism, that is also found in Asia. Countries like China, a big portion of China, and Taiwan, and Singapore, Malaysia, wherever the Chinese people are, Thailand, Myanmar, Laos, Cambodia, they're all Buddhists. And we'll show you some pictures of uh, Buddhist worship. This is, a, this is an example of Buddhist worship, a giant statue of Buddha where people come in to pay uh, reverence and obeisance and worship to the God. Hundreds and thousands of Buddhist monks are produced every year to serve the temples. And most of the Chinese people living in that part of Asia are of this kind of religion, the Chinese religion, where it is a mix of Buddhism, Confucianism, ancestral worship, and Taoism. And uh, in a typical home of the Chinese people living in Asia, they would have some kind of a statue in their home where they offer prayers and are involved in the burning of joysticks. And that's the kind of family background that Sister Puifan and I come up from. But we obeyed the gospel when we were teenagers. Uh, she was 17 and I was 15. But at different times, we obeyed the gospel. We never did go back to this religion. And we have brought up a Christian family of two boys who are now adults and they are very deeply involved in the Christian religion. They're faithful, they're active, they're serving the Lord. And hopefully they too will bring up Christian families and we continue to be involved in the preaching of the gospel. Then there's also the influence of Roman Catholicism. One billion Roman Catholics in the world, 10% of them are found in, in Asia. In uh, China, Russia, communist influence. In China alone, 70 million registered communists. And then we have animism, 
where people bow down and worship to nature, especially so when you have a part of the tree that seems to resemble a certain kind of beast, and they believe that the spirits of this beast rest in the tree, and they bow down and worship to them. And then also we have false prophets from this part of the world who would travel there and hold gospel rallies, and thousands of young people will come and listen to his brand of the gospel, which we know is a false gospel, and people believe in him. They watch him uh, conducting uh, faith healing and people being slain by the Spirit and all of that. So with all of this influence in Asia, the gospel certainly is needed. And we want to introduce to you uh, a man who, according to the restorationmovement.com, started uh, the church there when he is believed to be the first missionary to have brought the gospel to the Far East, to Singapore. And the same website also said that he uh, served as president of Four Seas College. So he, together with a few others, were pioneers in establishing the work at Four Seas College. This is the late brother Ira Y. Rice Jr. Some of you may have heard of him. And the school now, the college, is located on the western part of the island of Singapore. And this is the island of uh, Singapore where the school is located in Jurong. And Forces College operates on the third floor of the Jurong Church of Christ. And over the years since the college was established in 1965, students had come from different parts of Asia. And we have preachers now laboring in different parts of Asia in this country's that are highlighted in yellow. Well, just some, in some countries, just one. In some countries, several. In some countries, just two. We need to have more preachers produced. And uh, this is what we do in, in Forces College. And the purpose of the school is to train men to become full-time gospel preachers. And ladies are also accepted in school where they will be trained to become teachers of children's classes and ladies' classes so that when they go back to do this and be involved in this work, the church will, where they come from will, be, will remain strong. Young people will be prepared to obey the gospel when they grow up, and the ladies in the congregation will be strengthened. And those uh, courses that are taught in the first year class and also in the second year class, they are patterned after Memphis School of Preaching. Every book of the Bible is taught and Bible-related topics like Christian evidences and uh, world missions, the preacher and his work, premillennialism, so that every graduate, for the man, that he will be able to stand behind the pulpit and deliver his lessons effectively and also be able to teach one-to-one -one as a soul winner. And for the ladies too, to be able to, to teach children's classes effectively and ladies' classes. Let me introduce to you the faculty and staff of the college. This is Brother Peter Chin. He served as the president of this college for the last four years since 2011, when the former director steps down due to his poor health and age. And then, together with us full-time, is Brother Patrick Swain. He is a graduate of MSOP in the year before me. He's, he's located in Singapore now teaching full-time and is married to the daughter of a preacher from Australia, and they're expecting their first child in September. So these are the two full-time instructors that we have. And Sister Pui Fan uh, works as the college secretary and librarian. 
and administrative executive and is involved in um, many areas of work that's unofficial, like being a mother to the ladies who come as students uh, and providing counseling and help whenever help is needed. And uh, she does a great work there and uh, we work together. We see each other every day. We travel to work together Monday to Friday and then we see each other at home every day. And so that's a great opportunity for us to be working together. And, she, and that's the reason why her name is Fun. It's just full of fun. <laughs> we also have uh, Brother Eddie E who preaches to the Jerome Church of Christ full time. And he teaches part time at the school. So now we have two and a half instructors. That's not good, not good enough. But we have put together a pool of online instructors that teaches online through Skype. Tim Hayes is a full-time gospel preacher at Logan Martin, Pell City, Alabama. Glenn Tatasol is a full-time preacher in Tasmania, Australia. Philip Van Winkle was doing mission work in Malaysia for the last three years, full-time. But just recently wrapped up his work and has returned to Missouri because he lost his mother and his father is alone. He needed to come back and take care of him and stay with him. Then we have Jason Hillman, who is a full-time preacher in Nesbitt, Mississippi. John Diamante is also a graduate of MSOP, and he serves full-time as a gospel preacher in the city of Manila in the Philippines. It's a great sacrifice for those who are from the United States. For example, when our students in Singapore uh, finishes their chapel devotion from 9 to 9.30, and at 9.30, lessons will begin. It would mean that uh, one of these American instructors will have to lock online on Sunday, Sunday night at 8.30 to teach for another two hours. I'd say it's a great sacrifice because they are gospel preachers in the United States. They would have taught a Bible class in the morning. They would have preached a sermon during morning worship. They would have preached a sermon during evening worship. And now they log online at 8.30 on Sunday night to teach for another two hours. That's a great sacrifice. And we appreciate them for the work that they do. And we moved on to show you pictures of how classes uh, are like at school daily from Monday to Friday. And uh, the male students of the college would have the opportunity to serve in song leading in leading prayers, in making announcements, reading scriptures, and even in preaching for 15 minutes during chapel every day from Monday to Friday. And then the instructors will take turns each day to give a critique of the sermon, to help them to improve themselves in any areas that's necessary so that they can become effective preachers. The ladies will also have a special course conducted for them, the Christian Women's Course, where they learn how to teach little children effectively according to their ages. And you see Sister Puifan, one of the teachers in this course, with a group of students and standing behind a wall where they have made visuals. They have learned to make visuals to be used in children's classes. They learn how to make visuals. They learn songs for little children. They learn how to teach uh, effectively for different age groups. And they learn how to teach ladies classes. So this course, this course is especially for the female students who are enrolled. Sometimes our students also will have the opportunity to travel across to Malaysia to be involved in gospel campaigns and that helps them to see a different side 
of the Lord's work on a different mission field and to meet different Christians. And the top left-hand picture, you will see standing behind and together with the students in that year, 2012, a brother John Moore, the gospel preacher at Dripping Springs in Texas, was invited to come to Malaysia to speak in a gospel meeting. And it was an, a three to four night gospel meeting with three to four hundred people every night. And these students uh, had an opportunity to meet Christians from Malaysia. And then they will experience what it is like, the Lord's mission field in Malaysia and in Singapore, before they go back to become gospel preachers in their native lands. And courses like this are also taught for churches in Singapore, where once a year, every year, over 10 weeks, we, we conduct special uh, extension program for the churches in Singapore to encourage and ground them in the work of the Lord in understanding the scriptures. And we want to introduce to you now uh, the graduating class of 2013, two years ago. Some men graduated from this class, and uh, each year, Billy Bland, the Associate Director of Memphis School of Preaching, will travel to present diplomas to these graduates. And the first person we want to introduce to you is a young man by the name of George, and he comes from China, from Wuhu, Anhui Province. This is China, and uh, this is the outline of the country of China, in one of those provinces is called Anhui. And in the province of Anhui, you have the city of Wuhu. And that's where George comes from. That is a small nucleus of people who have been taught the gospel by uh, George, George's uncle, who is a university lecturer in Hefei, towards the northeastern part of Wuhu. He had taught George and George's parents and George's grandmother and George's aunt. And so the church... Uh, started, but they had no idea what to do on a Sunday morning. And they just gathered for prayers, read the scriptures, and they just go back home. So they encouraged George to come to school. And George came to school to study for two years. He graduated. He has gone back to work full-time for the church there. And over the year and a half, he was able to train his father to lead songs, to lead prayers, to read the scriptures, and recently he reported to us that his father was able to stand behind the pulpit and preach his first sermon for 30 minutes without looking at any notes. And that's his, the picture of his father standing behind the pulpit. And uh, he, that the church now has got two men who are taking the lead in the congregation. That's a picture showing the church gathered in the apartment of his parents. And that's the meeting place. And young people... Uh, are being reached out to who are students at the local universities who make up a big uh, uh, number of the congregation. This is George baptizing a young lady. And uh, look at the baptistry. It's an inflated kids swimming pool that's used as a baptistry. And that's the church at Wuhu. And that's where George is laboring now as a full-time gospel preacher. Another young man comes to us from China. But he's not from Shanghai, although he's now laboring in Shanghai. His name is uh, Bob Xiang. So he's laboring there now in Shanghai full-time for a year and a half now and has also been successful in teaching and baptizing people. From the same class also is a young man from Malaysia, Victor Chu. And this is Victor. He comes from Ipoh in Para, the northern part of Malaysia. On the left, that's West Malaysia. On the right, that's East Malaysia. 
That, that is the island of Borneo. There are two states that belong to Malaysia. The rest of the island belongs to Indonesia. But Victor comes from West Malaysia, the northern part of the peninsula, the state of Para, the town of Ipoh. And he has been able to serve as their full-time gospel preacher and has been successful in teaching and baptizing people in recent times. And the next person that comes from the same graduating class is a young man by the name of Terry Tay. And he served in the southern region of the peninsula. Okay, that's where Johor Bahru is. He's preaching there full time. And Johor Bahru is very close to Singapore. It's connected to Singapore by a bridge. But if you look on the western side of the peninsula, you'll see somewhere in the middle, the city of Kuala Lumpur. That's the capital of Malaysia. And uh, down south, 20 miles away, it's not shown in the map, is the city of Klang. That's where Pui Fan and I comes from. That's where Jim Dearman and his family labored for the Klang Church of Christ for 18 months. That's where we met his family. And uh, they, they're a wonderful Christian family. And it's so encouraging to read about the work that they continue to do, not just through this congregation here, but in his preaching for a gospel broadcasting network and other work that they continue to be involved in. It's great to be able to, to see them again and to be encouraged by the good work that they do. So that's uh, uh, Terry serving now as a full-time preacher down south. Another person comes to us from India. He's from Bangalore in India. His name is James William. And uh, James comes from Bangalore, the Silicon Valley of India. And he's serving there, uh, preaching the gospel and has been able to teach and baptize people. And this is a church in Bangalore, India, where he's involved in the work. Next, we have another young man that comes to us from Singapore. His name is Elvin Lin. And Elvin is now serving as a full-time preacher for, <clears throat> for the Limapin Road Church of Christ. This is the picture of the Limapin Road Church of Christ. And uh, we have a closer view. And uh, sitting among the group of people is Sister Pui Fan and I. And I served as one of the three elders in this congregation for three and a half years, but just recently resigned last December because the work has taken a lot of my time and I needed the time to concentrate on the work at Four Seas. And so that's the reason why we've been able to travel. And uh, Elvin, Elvin now serves as a full-time preacher for this congregation. So that was the class of 2013. And this is the graduating class of last year, 2014. And uh, they received their diplomas from Brother Billy Bland. The two men in the class, uh, this is a picture of King Yue, king from China. The king was badly injured in a fireworks explosion. He lost both his parents and uh, he was very badly disfigured. He had to be brought to the United States for corrective surgeries. And the director of the China Agape Foundation by the name of Ron Brown, referred him to Four Seas College. In China, there are six orphanages run by the Chinese Agape Foundation. It churches of Christ supported charity work. And uh, King was sent to school so that he would learn to become a Christian. Before lessons even began, someone preached the gospel to him from his class. He obeyed the gospel. Then during the next two years, he studied and the brethren in Singapore, reach out to him. Another reason that he was sent to Forsyth College is because Brother Ron Brown said, this young boy is rejected by his own people in China. 
because of the way that he looked. He needed to experience the love of Christians, and he did that. He experienced the love and acceptance of brethren in Singapore, and before he finished school, he said, I want to be a gospel preacher. And now he's serving in one of the centers in, in China, the Chinese Agape Foundation, where he had a lot of orphans under, placed under his care, and he had that opportunity to teach and preach the gospel to them. And this is another young man that comes from Vietnam, and he's going back there to be a full-time gospel preacher. So that's the, the two men who graduated from last year being involved in full-time work. I appreciate you all for the time that uh, we have together in this class studying about the Ethiopian eunuch's conversion. That God speaks to us through His Word today. God sends us out to preach His Word. And two other points that we do not have time to cover is that God seeks and He's still seeking for men to, sit, to, to, to be saved. But He expects us to do the word of preaching. And God not only seeks, but He also saves. God still wants to save people today. And it is us who will go out to people to preach the truth so that they can be saved. And I'd be happy to answer any questions that you may have after Bible class or after worship this morning where we can uh, provide you with information that may, you may need to know. But again, before I go, I appreciate the church here and the elders here for supporting me in this work where we're involved in the work of training men and women to sow the seed of God's word in the hearts of men in Asia through the work that we do at Four Seas College. Thank you very much. God bless.